Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hey everybody, Holden here. Oh, hey, I'm Jake. And I just wanted to take a quick second to talk about this live show we got going on in Brooklyn in June. Oh, are you talking about the live podcast event of the season? <laughs> oh my God, yes, I'm talking about the live podcast of the season. Of course, the sites are maybe like Lost Podcast on the Left Live, but you know what I mean? But this is its own thing. Wizard and the Bruiser, page seven on one stage. It's going to be incredible at the Bell House on June 9th. That's Sunday, June 9th at the Bell House. Doors are at seven. The show is at 730. You can get tickets online for just... 25 bucks. We're going to have merch. We're going to have signed posters. We're going to be hanging out after the show. Come party with us. Uh, don't party with Jackie. She's a violent presence. <laughs> See you there, guys. Everybody, it's your big old bulky gears bruiser Holden McNeely, and I'm here to say that if you're not tough enough and you don't have this stuff, that you better get more gruff. <laughs> hey, and I'm your wacky DJ llama with a tomato for a face. <laughs> Isn't this r- r- random? Uh, I'm doing the damp. I'm a doing a, the damp. That, yeah, I I'm thought that might have damp. been a Fortnite also, reference. Also, this is my uh, A14 carbide semi-automatic burst rifle, <laughs> a capable of over 200 yards of clearance. It gets uh, 50 damage on a headshot, 23 for a body blow. Uh, wind resistance is about two degrees <laughs> off on the bullet RNG. I thought for a second, I was like, watch out, I'm slipping in ketchup. Llama with a tomato friend. I was like, is that a fucking Fortnite <laughs> reference? I hate it, Jake. Everything you stand for and everything that you like at this point. No, don't do the backpack kid dance. He's doing the backpack kid dance. It's called very, the floss. Very Because you're like flossing your body. He's doing it though. He's not doing it right. And he's doing it sitting down and it looks awful. <laughs> you just look like you're like rowing a fucking boat badly. Ugh. I'm so, we're not even doing this episode. I'm sorry, everybody. This week we're taking off. From such (laughs) grandiose heights of cultural supremacy came... From such humble beginnings. I I was excited when you suggested doing this episode because I was like, ooh, they seem evil. <laughs> you know, kind of like, I guess we've been indulging in that lately. We did the episode on, um, what was it? What was the evil company? Activision. Activision. We did, you know what I mean? We've been covering these companies because you do wonder, you're like, where did this, these fuckers come from and why do they own everything? You know, mm-hmm. we did Blizzard. All that good stuff, right? Um, And this one, I think, is so in the lexicon right now. Blizzard is technically Activision. Oh, right. I forgot. What the? Yeah, that's right. Activision (laughs) owns everything. Does Activision own Epic at all? 
And they don't have a little piece of it? I don't think so. I hope not. But maybe <laughs> one of the Chinese companies that invested in Activision That's has true. also invested in Epic. That's true. And I really wanted to learn more about Tencent because they're real creepy. <laughs> like like Tencent, man, is has been literally every week I listen to like Giant Bomb or whatever, shameless uh, free plug. And they keep every in the news. They're like, oh, and Tencent bought these other five fundamental gaming companies or whatever. You know what I mean? And it's just creep. They're just they're getting so huge. It's like the big fat guy in a uh, Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. You know what I mean? It's just like getting. So, I'm just like, is Tencent just gonna explode money all over the world at some point? They just get so giant. You know what I mean? That it just goes everywhere and there's like kids in the street like grabbing money. Like it's gaming Bat- the is Batman a hit. 1989 based business where you know modest success you sell two million copies of devil may cry five okay whatever like there's not like maybe everyone got to go home with a salary but like you know the the investors aren't raking like big buku bucks on right that. but if you can find a way to guarantee that you'll be at the front of the next global gaming phenomenon that is billions of dollars just waiting to be grabbed and the way you guarantee the hits is by owning as much of it as you can yes uh, absolutely it is just just frightening the way i mean the word shrewd like the phrase shrewd (laughs) businessman like doesn't do enough to describe tim sweeney and this company as a whole they have literally no tim tim is a nerd they have looked at yeah but he's like a fucking business nerd the scariest kind of nerd. Not what? No, he's great. He's is fine. I, I just okay. MS DOS is interesting. <laughs> you know, with modern GPUs, you can do more than just like second source approximations of lighting. You can do double bounces, and if approaching Moore's law, even as it reduces by vertical integrations of the chipsets, we can actually create. Uh, uh, you know, even beyond ray tracing, we can do kind of a global illumination system that you know approximates. Tim, just do the, the cocaine, all right? We got these hookers to have <laughs> sex with, and they're not going to have sex with themselves. Okay? Oh no! I, uh, the doctor says I can't, I can't do cocaine anymore because, as you know, I'm paying uh, the world's greatest plastic surgeons to give me a lion's face. <laughs> Imagine glorious Tim with the face of the king of the jungle. Oh, I forgot we have to call you glorious Tim now. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, it just. He, it seems like at every turn, Epic sees what the trend is and just the gold rush to capitalize capitalize on it, and they have succeeded time and time again. Now, they have also failed, and we'll talk about some of those smaller failures, but still, it is an unbelievable lifespan for a game company that is constant. And it's fat. You know what I learned, too? There's two different types, right? There's like the Activisions of the world and the Ids of the world. There's the innovators and there's the capitalizers. You know what I mean? And they're they're usually two different companies, right? Like Id Software, they're gonna be the ones that have like these big hits, but then they won't age properly, mm-hmm. right? But it's the capitalizers that can time and time again, as long as they are keeping their eyes open and looking around and seeing what the landscape is and properly adjusting to it, are just staying alive for decades and decades. And then at this point, then Epic, they get bought it, by EA or Activision. Yeah, and they're in a fat. Epic is in a fascinating little spot right now. I mean, the the news on Epic is happening daily, and we will get into that with this um, their their marketplace that they opened up. I think that's like the biggest that the marketplace thing. I think is. What I'm predicting to be the big cornerstone, their their turn, and then they're going to go through a bit of a downfall. I think. As goes Reddit, so goes the nation. Right. 
Uh, okay, so let's bring it back to the very beginning. Let's talk about 1991. Pew, pew. <laughs> people thought how hoverboards were going to be a thing, uh, you know, and uh, they, they thought that th- uh, virtual reality was going to happen in like the next two years, those past idiots. <laughs> uh, and Potomac Computer Systems. Potomac. Potomac? Yeah. Like oh, the yeah, the Pot- Potomac. Yeah, yeah. Is founded by Tim Sweeney in 1991 while studying mechanical engineering at the University of Maryland. He's um, By founding, do you mean he just sat down and decided, <laughs> I guess I'm Potomac Computing? Yes, that's what I mean. This, we're talking about a nerd in his, literally in his parents' basement. Uh, he was raised in Potomac, Maryland. That's where he got the name. And uh, he uh, very early on was into taking a part in analyzing mechanical and electronic devices. Uh, we're talking about when he was at the age of five or six, he took apart a whole lawnmower. He was one of those kids, by the way. Ugh. Th- also- this is what you got to understand is uh, <laughs> this is a guy that was born in 1970. So, again, he's a guy in his 20s in his parents' basement. He got to see in real time as the home computer revolution happened. So he was, yeah. you know, the Apple II, uh, the Commodore 64. Well, and his family got an Atari 2600, which he w- would enjoy playing the game Adventure uh, on. Uh, he well, actually wasn't that big on the Atari 2600, but Adventure stuck out for him. It was a uh, about a, a or a square. A player <laughs> controls a square avatar trying to find a magical chalice while avoiding enemies. And it is also known as the first game, of course, to have an Easter egg in it. So it comes up all the time. It's also one of those proto games, so it comes up in so many episodes. But of the proto games, it was the most, uh, you know, uh, advanced of the proto. You know, multiple screens, items, um, enemy types, uh, a dragon that looked like a fucked up duck. And he got an interest in programming at the age of 11 when he visited his older brother's startup in California, which had some of the first IBM personal computers. He spent the week there at his brother's company learning BASIC. BASIC is the family of general purpose programming languages that promote an ease of use. Is BASIC still today one of the first languages you might end up learning as a programmer for starting out i mean it's still relevant it, i learned basic in school but the yeah. i don't think so because it runs so weird and there's so uh-huh. it's such a limited thing you can do with it um and like some of the things that you could do to make advanced basic programs like you can't you're not gonna uh, like look up individual memory addresses I, mean, right. I don't even know if it you can even run it in a natively in a 64-bit system mm. this is like the, the upper limits of my computer science knowledge it's so called please. it's called basic for a reason it really is there for mm-hmm. entry-level programming and this is way and back it was in before the early c plus it was before all these other uh system you know uh, i guess now people learn python first or, mm-hmm. or Java. oh right python usually right well anyways he claims to have spent over ten thousand hours teaching himself programming from the ages of 11 to 15, during which he made actually several video games. This happened uh, shortly after his family got an Apple II, and Sweeney got to work trying to make his own version of Adventure 2. Oh, the, that was the big thing about BASIC, though, is that back then, every single computer basically used its own programming language. Ah. Uh, so, you know, what you made for an Apple II wouldn't work on a Commodore 64, right. wouldn't work for a PC. But if you did it in BASIC, everyone could play it. Ah, uh, I see. Um, By... 
hand typing it out after, from the back of a magazine. So Potomac was actually a computer consulting business uh, for Sweeney that he, as we said, ran out of his parents' house, and it never really took off. So he just put it off to the side and started programming games that he intended to sell on nights and weekends using his IBM personal computer because he was currently going to school at this time. He was using a text editor to program, and he created a game called ZZT, which is an action-adventure puzzle game that looks like a more advanced adventure. He had college friends and whatnot test the game out for him and give feedback. And this is when a character comes in that you probably heard us talk about on the id episode, on the Doom episode, rather, right? I don't think we did. We didn't call it id software. We called it Doom, right? I'd hope so. I believe so. Ah, those are the days, right, Jake? Do you remember those? I don't remember when we recorded that, but it was a long time ago is what it felt like. We were in the second studio. (laughs) Yeah, of four? (laughs) We're vagabond podcasters. (laughs) Roaming. <laughs> yeah, we are a bit of a Roman Roman bunch of bunch of folks these days, a bunch of nomads. So, anyways, uh, who I'm referring to is Scott Miller of Apogee Software uh, Limited. Who uh, he got his the reason why we brought him up in the earlier episodes uh, or in the Doom episodes was because he made his coin off of the shareware model of video game sales, where you would essentially fulfill mail orders from people in order to sell the games. He ran that, and he was the person who got it off the ground with their Commander Keen series of platformers that was essentially them making a PC knockoff of Super Mario 3. He was able to bust them wide open, essentially give them their uh, start in game sales because they weren't selling those games in stores and retail. They were going through Apogee and selling them with shareware, with the shareware model, and ended up actually doing pretty well. Well, he also gave uh, Tim Sweeney his start, taking ZZT and fulfilling these mail orders with uh, Scott Miller. I believe Scott Miller just hooked him up with the system, but he was the one fulfilling them from his home with the help of his dad. But he started selling a few copies every day, which added up to about $100 a day, which led him to rename Potomac into uh, what would be like a cool... I don't know, like, oh, what would you name your badass video game dev company, Jake? Uh, was I going to, was I making like kind of a snide tongue-in-cheek? You're trying to sound as badass and huge and just important as possible. Global Omni Dick. <laughs> I was going to go with Dragon Cock. <laughs> so that actually works really well. That I think we're thinking of the same way, which is sort of some kind of a penis-related epicness of giant proportions. Strong Boy and Associates. Game of Thrones rules, <laughs> Inc. was what I was called. Uh, but anyways, I have sex dot org. <laughs> okay, there you go. That's now we're t- now we're cooking with bacon. Now people are like, oh, "That's gonna be flying off the shelves." Your uh, your your journey clone yeah. is gonna be flying off the shelves. Oh man, have you heard about this journey clone? I think the guy who made it has sex. <laughs> <laughs> so Sweeney renames Potomac to Epic Mega Games. The Mega Games is such it's overkill. So funny. Uh, and yeah, he's trying to make it look like he's like a giant company of a bunch of people working around the clock, but of course it's just him. And he starts working on his next project called Jill of the Jungle and. 1992. So I'd, I'd like to uh, hold you up for a second because uh, ZZT, even though it's kind of outside of our purview, has one of the most incredibly vibrant communities in gaming history. Uh, what sets it apart from other games of the time, even again, 1991, like people were making games with actual graphics. Yeah. But because the base of the system was Sweeney's attempt to make a word processor, all of these 
ZZT graphics are just using ASCII characters. Huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so letters, hyphens, I looked, stars, I watched. Yeah. I, I watched a video, so I'm totally visualizing it, and you're totally, yeah, it's completely what it is. And within that uh, system, he created a way to kind of, uh, it's basically, he invented its own object-oriented programming language hmm. where you can uh, very easily go in and kind of imbue each character or groups of characters with properties in a in a relatively easy to understand way and uh very quickly the fan community began using those tools to create their own games within uh the ZZT framework so even though ZZT was just a tiny smiley face going dot to dot to you know space to space in only the four cardinal directions mm-hmm. i believe like the enemies were like the omega sign and like the virgo sign there were still like box pushing puzzles and like dungeons and like item management and people iterated and would share their like ZZT levels and make their own games. Yes. And oddly enough, literally the first. So what I'm trying to say is the first thing that Epic Games ever did was itself a game engine uh-huh. without even realizing. It. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, for, because, because, spoiler alert, Epic Games will end up creating the Unreal Engine if people didn't know that. Um, and that's a big part of how they became as huge as they got. Of course, so many different games uh, were, were made using the Unreal Engine. I feel like I'm just, that's like a standard thing now. You're always seeing that Unreal logo mm-hmm. pop up before. That so that's, fucking gnarly ass you. Yeah, exactly. That's that's awesome though. That's really really Yeah, amazing. so ZZT was it's very it's it's we should not over over glance over. Yeah, yeah. I guys I I got I have food poisoning as we speak. You so were I don't pooping have blood. all day. Yeah. I don't have blood anymore. You were pooping all day and he still came and did the episode everybody. I am a everybody. husk. So if you're sitting at your office right now, I want you to start clapping very loudly and scream, Yay, Jake! Thank you for pooping all day and still doing the episode. I don't care if your boss is nearby. I don't care if you're running right now. Maybe you're running a race right now. Stop everything and start clapping for Jake, all right? And I'm scream about how It's like Tinkerbell. You're giving me life. <laughs> so anyways, uh, but on onwards from ZZT. He ends up working on Jill of the Jungle in 1992, and if uh, as I mentioned, Commander Keen earlier, this is straight up a just uh, an attempt to rival Commander Keen. Mm-hmm. Straight up an attempt to just uh, eclipse that game and capitalize on the success. This is really Epic's first do uh, first time they're doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Like where they're where they're clearly just seeing what's going on that people like and just trying to eclipse it and do it better. What if Commander Keen instead of like a weird like Bart Simpson motherfucker in a football helmet was a lady who you could see up her ass crack in a red leotard? Perfect. Perfect. And it did what uh many noteworthy games of the time did for PC, which is they managed to get smooth scrolling and like larger levels uh working on extremely limited PC hardware, which uh, back in the day, uh, you didn't have a graphics card. You yeah. made up, you might have had like a very rudimentary video chip of some kind, but uh, just handling sprites and levels and like and having enough cycles to actually run the game was, you know, you were you were you were rationing each individual hertz cycle of the CPU like it was precious gold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, individuals who could manage to get their games even playable that were ahead of the game. And Jill of the Jung- Jill of the Jungle yeah. used like VGA graphics at the time, whereas like a lot of other Apogee games were stuck in the old shitty CGA era. Oh my god! You know that like teal magenta bullshit. What a bunch of suck sucks. Oh, idiots! Ugh. So 
Also at this time, though, this game is such an undertaking for Sweeney that he realizes he can't do this alone. He ends up forming a team of four, um, and also he realizes he needs somebody to run the business end of things, because you're right, he is a bit of a savvy nerd uh, in terms of getting his stuff off the ground, but he's got to get some extra help. That's where Mark Ryan comes in, who literally came directly from id Software. He had just been let go. He ended up actually playtesting Commander Keen 4 back in the day for John Romero after reaching out to him and later was brought in as uh, id's quote-unquote probationary president which is such an id thing like a fuck you you're not really the president president after which he got commander keen into retail stores he was the one responsible for that he was let go during the development of wolfenstein 3d after a difference in opinion with the staff Jill of the Jungle sells great with the help from Ryan R-E-I-N I believe it's Ryan at about 20 to 30 copies a day. So now business is doing, oh, real, real good. Oh, real good. Sweeney doesn't get his degree short by one credit from college because he's just balling now. You know what I mean? He's going out there. He's he's Somet- buying dice. You know what I mean? He's, yeah, he's go- so, so Sometimes I, I regret not getting my degree. You know, it's, <laughs> it was an important developmental step. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of I, I dwell on it. But then I remember that time that I bought out Dodger Stadium, filled it with prostitutes, and just uh, crowd surfed for an entire week. What are we driving today? The yellow Rari or the blue Guini? Oh, that's weird. You still use cars. That's adorable. I have fighter jets. Pick me up wherever I need to go. And whatever damage ensues, I just pay for it. <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, hey, sweet- do you want gold? Oh, uh, sure. I'll take yeah, a bag of gold. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, there's a bunch of coke on this gold. Uh, you know, that's on the house. <laughs> so, this is where we get how we get to the Unreal Engine. Sweeney had, as you mentioned before, been creating editing tools for ZZT and even Jill of the Jungle. And this led him to realize, hey, I bet I could create my own engine in 1995. I bet I could lease that engine. I bet I could make a Oodles account. Like, you think you make money off of a fucking, just a fucking video game. Like, dude, if I make an engine, that's going to be, like, crazy money. So this engine included software and hardware rendering, collision detection, colored lighting, and some texture filtering. Essentially, it's just like John Carmack made his own engine at id. This was that for Epic. This was that for them, right? They they had the same thing in mind, but I think with more of a business model intention behind it. Carmack was just like, "Well, I need to. I am God, and I, you know, God must create. So here, I'm going to make this thing happen." Whereas I think I think Sweeney understood the monetary possibilities. The dream of fully polygonal graphics was a Shangri La, a, a lost city of gold that everyone was working towards. Mm-hmm. And the key is is that again, pre GPUs. It had to work on either software rendering or hardware rendering, and uh, it took you know it took a lot of finagling to get it to run right. But it was what Unreal did with its colored lighting and yeah. uh, you know texture filtering. That and- stuff was just really super innovative at that time. That the, the things that we take for granted now, like lighting, you know, were just unheard of back then. There's a very famous magazine cover. Uh, what was it? Next Generation Magazine Maybe. or Game Pro? One of the you know uh, height of the game magazines publication, where it was a screenshot of one of the bad guys in Unreal with like a cool radical claw sword, uh, just this blocky ass alien, just literally just five trapezoids stacked together with a shitty trapezoid like thing behind it, 
uh, for the environment. And it's just going like, and the headline on the front is like, that's right. This is a real screenshot. (laughs) As if this was the coming of Christ itself. Uh, It's also important to note that in between uh, Joe the Jungle and Unreal, uh, Epic Games is doing great kind of uh, competing with Apogee by publishing their own shareware from Uh a wide variety of different developers. Among them is a really fucked up point and click adventure called Dare to Dream. Okay. Uh, Now, Dare to Dream is about a a kid who is like uh, exploring his own psychology through being trapped in the dream world. Uh, The art is... Like, the scribblings of a 14-year-old, it's, like, weird cartoony, but also full of, like, fucked-up biblical imagery. There's, like, a lot of awful point-and-click puzzles. Like, some legendarily obtuse and awful, like, pixel-hunty, non-logic. Because it's a dream, man. You got to use dream logic, which makes no fucking sense. So it's this bizarre mix of inept and yet edgy, yet high-minded, but also colorful and, and kind of inventive. And uh, this wasn't made directly by Epic uh, Mega Games. This was the first project by a young Cliff Blazinski. Mm, yes, Cliff Blazinski. This is his first entry into uh, into th- th- his first game was at the age of 15 called The Palace of Deceit. That was in 1991. <laughs> so it was a DOS text adventure. He got hired at Epic in 1992 after his submitting his game, as you mentioned, Dare to Dream to Sweeney. And at Epic with programmer Arjun Brucey, he designed the platformer Jazz Jackrabbit, one of the first platformers to make it to PC, which became Epic's biggest seller at the time back in 94. It wasn't the first, but it was one of the most beautiful. It ran incredibly well, uh, again, with the same limitations that like Commander Keen had to go through. Colorful, bright, incredibly fast scrolling. Uh, what, what was the name of the programmer? Arjun Brucey. Legendary. He basically, uh, he got his start in the demo scene. He wasn't even mm. a games developer. Yeah. His whole passion was just making computers create images that they should not have been capable of. And so with the mix of like Cliff Blazinski's like teenage ratitude and the extra programming oomph, they started an empire and it gave them enough time to be working on the Unreal Engine for years, even, at, even while it came out with Quake and was like getting ready to put out Quake 2. It just gave them a ton of leeway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 3D gaming was so ravenous. People were so hungry for this new form of kind of telling stories and, and, and going on adventures. Oh, yeah. That uh, they managed to license the Unreal Engine before the first game was even finished. Before their Unreal game came out in 96, they licensed uh, they licensed it out for up to $350,000. Sweeney said about this business plan, the big goal with the Unreal technology all along uh, was to build up a base of code that could be extended and improved through many generations of games. Meeting that goal required keeping the technology quite general purpose, writing clean code, and designing the engine to be very ex- extensible. The early plans to design an extensible multi-generational engine happened to give us a great advantage in licensing the technology as it reached completion. After we did a couple of licensing deals, we realized it was a legitimate business. Since then, it has become a major component of our strategy. Uh, as we covered in the It episode, it was chasing the uh, newest and greatest 3D engine, almost crippled its software. Uh, mm. Carmack, for all of his genius, yes. wanted his games to be singularly special, like to look like no other people's could. Again, every it's it's like it's like the people that uh, hyper-tuned their like, uh, Toyota sedans to just like become drag racers. Yeah. It's about getting all this power and all this energy from these limited 
you know, boxes that were previously used to do word processing and spreadsheets. And so by creating an engine that anyone can pick up and start building their own game on, you're saving untold amounts of time and manpower and also money. too these the engine is a symbol of the company's game plan itself an extremely adaptable long-term plan mm. right that is epics in a nutshell constantly adapting thinking always about the long term like that is always what it is and that is what unreal as an engine was designed to be and has been i mean we're up to unreal 4 now it is constantly being the engine. used. Yeah, the engine. The engine, not the game. Because that that's the confusion, right? We keep talking <laughs> about how these guys are working on a, a game called Unreal. Mm-hmm. And what came first? The game name, and then that's what they called the engine because that's the game they were designing for is probably what I'm thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Or did they call the f- name? They named the first game the name of the engine. From what I understand, uh, they started building the uh a 3D-ish kind of game. And they, yeah. And, you know, because that's what you do. People wanted a 3D game, so they started building a 3D game. And then the idea to, like, to put as much focus in the engine and its adaptability as whatever Cliff Blazinski decided would be, like, cool for an alien to scream while it, like, <laughs> you shot it in the belly. Unreal! <laughs> Drink Bud Light! Yeah. Unreal! And then there's, like, a medieval castle, and then you can, but you can shoot your gun sideways like rappers do. I was like, that time my mom walked in on me jerking off, I was like, unreal! <laughs> <laughs> we have to find a better I, go-to embarrassing situation. Can I lie and say I also shat all day, and that's why I'm having problems? Yes. <laughs> so, anyways. Uh, <laughs> You're listening to Game History with two husks. So... Blazinski joins Sweeney and James Schmaltz. Uh, James Schmaltz is coming from a, a company called Digital Extremes to work on the first of the oh, Unreal series. Fuck, now, I forgot about okay, Digital Extremes to, though yeah. was okay. Digital Extremes was founded in 1993 after the success of Epic Pinball for Epic. Schmaltz was actually working for Epic, and Epic Pinball was so successful. Not only did it help fund the like Unreal working on the Unreal engine and stuff, but also Schmaltz was like, dude, I'm gonna start my own company. This this went so well for me. So uh yeah Unreal uh, Epic Pinball, another game that ran beautifully on home computers, even though it had no right to. Yeah. Uh I played it. I feel like it came with like in a million different shareware discs. It was like built in assembly code, like x86 assembly code, and was just nothing else ran like it. It was the best pinball game you could get. And they kept making expansions for it because I don't know if you know this about pinball fans, they're weirdly addicted to yeah. their flippy flappy it's battle crazy. games. crazy, yeah. So all they had to do was keep releasing tables and the money kept pouring in. Dude, we got to do an episode on pinball. Ooh. Right? I guess. So this game, Unreal, started out as a game more similar to Quake and Doom with a centered gun and status bar. It was one of the first games to use detailed texturing. When, when I say that, I mean... It uh, enhances the surface of objects with a second texture detail that will fade in and make the surface appear much more complex instead of increasingly blurry, like when you walk up. Okay, so like if you see a texture on a wall and then you walked up to it, like in Doom 1, it's just this blurry, gross mess. Yeah. But what this did was you walk up close to the texture and it actually... You, you get up close to it, and it looks very detailed, and it looks like it should look more so when you walk, get up close to it, as well as when you're far away from it, right? Still a weird trapezoid, but yes. Yes, but still a weird trapezoid. Like, it didn't look great, but it's still... We're getting more towards realistic graphics, right? It took three years to develop, 
this uh, this game, Unreal, and it reached 1.5 million units in sales by 2002. After the success of Unreal, Epic moves on to Unreal Tournament because, hey, guess what? Everyone's playing Quake Arena or whatever it is, right? Um, everyone's into multiplayer. And one of the problems with the first Unreal game, it, it got a lot of criticism. It had a multiplayer component that had a shitty net code and bad matchmaking and all yada, yada, yada. And that was the big criticism. Also, people are getting really into deathmatch. Mm. So we got to figure something out. Uh, it started out as an expansion to Unreal in the summer of 1998 uh, with the teams from Ontario, Canada, and North Carolina separately. There were two different teams at that point, all separated. Now they were centralized um, in Cary, North Carolina, just outside of Raleigh. And that's where the big corporate headquarters are going to stay from then on out, which was actually a big part of their business model. They said, hey, get away from the West Coast. It's so expensive over there in Silicon Valley. It's such a pain in the butt. Like, everyone's trying to, you know, get their nut, essentially, and then move somewhere where they can settle down. Come come to Cary. It's cheap to live. You can just chill, do your thing, raise a family, put down roots. It's not It's not going to be like a, a crazy shit show like it is over there. And that actually did draw a lot of employees their way. And so the uh, lead programmer uh, was Steve Polgy? Polgy? Something like that. He was hired by Epic after creating the Reaper bot for Quake, mm. which is listed in the Guinness World Records as the first computer-controlled deathmatch opponent, which I thought was kind of fascinating. The Reaper bot. And they did this a lot. They were looking at modders for, for Quake and even their own game and bringing people in that were doing stuff, including Jack Porter, whose mod for Unreal called Ubrowser actually helped... Find, with uh, finding multiplayer matches in the first Unreal. Like, in other words, oh, this guy's doing what we couldn't do. Let's just bring him onto the team. The team started at around 16 people and was growing little bits at a time. And uh, very quickly, this turned into a standalone project, right? This clearly was going to be not just an expansion for Unreal. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they totally innovated on the first game. Um, one of the biggest mechanic adjustments it made as opposed to other arena deathmatch type games it had the dodge ability you could double tap in any direction to a fast jump in that direction and dodge bullets coming at you and stuff which at the time was like a huge huge uh change in in the gameplay the game releases in 1999 and sells 100,998 copies by the end of that year and would eventually go on to eclipse its main competition quake 3 arena with close to 2 million units in total sales there ends up being eight iterations of Unreal Tournament through 2000. Yeah, we uh, also have to. We also have to just to, just talk about how Unreal Tournament was fucking amazing. Yeah, I see. Okay, because I don't have, dude. I don't have the history. It had the. It had so many awesome weapons. Uh, yeah. I, so you played the shit out of it. I played the shit. Did it, you play a lot of Quake Arena? No, no, no. This I, was your game. Unreal. I played. I didn't even play the first Unreal. I got Unreal Tournament, and uh, it just it ran perfectly on my dad's IBM Aptiva. The weapons from like the shrapnel gun to the bio ooze shooter to the plasma rifle, uh, all of them had al alternate fire modes, and it was just pure chaos. Tons of like jump pads, high flying kind of aerial combat. Uh -huh. if, now that I'm thinking about it, the level of verticality and kind of the scrambliness of it, it feels a lot like Fortnite in a way. Yeah. Okay. Um, and on top of that, was rocket jumping Quake or rocket jumping Unreal? was Quake? Okay, but uh, Unreal still let you, you know, there you were still gliding all over. You were still you you weren't using a weapon to make it happen. You were using their environmental stuff. To you make were using it happen. environmental stuff, and I think you could still do cool stuff. Uh, 
it's been a very long time and I didn't I haven't revisited it. And on top of that, the Unreal Editor or Unreal Ed or whatever uh, allowed so many fan levels that it just you just never there was just no reason to ever stop playing. Yeah, it just went on and on and on, right? Double kill. <laughs> oh, so so it's just it ends up being you know it, they actually had an Unreal Tournament four in the works, but that is now canceled essentially because Fortnite blew the fuck up, and they were like, oh yeah, people have moved on. <laughs> yeah, largely. I'm sure it would have probably done okay, but. I think they were just like, why don't we just um, direct 100% of our resources to this fucking mammoth cash cow that Drake is playing on Twitch currently? You know what I mean right now? like, I bet there's like one guy left on the Unreal Champions team. <laughs> so just sad. Like, this guy is named Dozer, and he's like a bulldozer. He can like... He's, he's tough. His name's like Sim Tweeny, and he's just like this sad, weird, bizarro Jim Sweeney that just is so sad and lame. It's uh, it's, it's it was fine, you know. It's it just very. I was just happy people were playing our game, and um, sometimes I, I, I hire people that I know uh won't make it all the way up to Mount Everest. I just like I just put a collar on their neck and I say, oh, if you want right, this off, please, you have to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> and then I just laugh and laugh. So after this point, uh, which could aptly, by the way, be named Epic 2.0. 2.0 was definitely well. The, they dropped the mega games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They dropped mega games, and what well, they refer to their they, they essentially refer to their different um, seasons. I'll call it, I guess, of the company as a whole. Uh, Epic 1.0 was definitely ZZT. The you know that's pretty much all the way up until they started making 3D games and making the Unreal Engine. Unreal Engine would be Epic 2.0. Epic 3.0 happened after a shift in PC culture due to piracy made it very easy to steal single player games. Epic decides it's time to move over to consoles due to this, referring to this phase as Epic 3.0. And that's where we get into the Gears of War phase for mm. Epic, which is just a wild... It's it's like, with the success of Fortnite and everything, and the Unreal Engine as a whole, you almost forget, like, holy shit, they also did Gears, which is a huge franchise and, and defines that period of video games to me. I feel like that is the Gears time period of console games you know like i mean this dark gritty ep like these massive stages with these giant epic set pieces you know and everything's oh these big like guys that are literally made out of a bicep you know what i mean they're just like all muscle ridiculousness the brown era of HD. the brown era exactly uh it was originally referred to as unreal warfare around 2001 and this game was more akin to the unreal series it also originally had character classes and mechs fighting in a closed arena against bots and other players but that game was tabled for so long that the whole in industry had shifted during that time huh Kind of like Fortnite. We'll get to that in a little <laughs> while, though, won't we? Uh, then they set their sights on a horror game influenced by Band of Brothers, but also influenced by the game that was influencing every single other fucking game at the time, Resident Evil 4. And we have talked about this before. Resident Evil 4 came out, and it was a gold rush to capitalize on the success get of that, that game. Get that camera over the fucking shoulder. <laughs> get it over the shoulder. First person, whatever, Grandpa, third person. Get it over the shoulder, constant action. Yada, yada, yada. Band of Brothers, by the way, if you don't know, it's an HBO miniseries based on the book of the same name about a company of soldiers in World War II. I highly recommend it. <laughs> Phenomenal. I mean, most people probably know, but I forget, you know, there's people like 
all over the world listening, maybe they don't know. I mean, not everybody knows this shit. I have to remember to also say, like, when I'm talking about money, I'm talking U.S. dollars, not mm-hmm. pounds or what, you know what I mean? Or or clicals or whatever people use, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Also, Kill Switch, very important influence on this game. Kill Switch is a third-person shootable shooter, rather, <laughs> notable for its cover system. Mm-hmm. That's right, because Gears, by the way, the most iconic cover shooter during the cover shooter boom, right? Blazinski also talks about the influence of a Nintendo game called Bionic, Bionic Commando. Uh, it had a grappling hook taking you from platform to platform, similar to the snappy cover system in Gears, Bionic Commando. Also, this classic Nintendo game um, that people really love uh, with a lot of nostalgia. So they put all of this together in a pot and decided uh, you have a squad team-based cover dependent game with limited weapon access to avoid uh, just a brute force shooter and trying to be a little bit more like Resident Evil games. The title itself is actually a nod to Metal Gear uh, and the whole Metal Gear franchise, which was a big deal to Blazinski. Who, Blazinski, by the way, this guy was like kind of one of those rock star game dev dudes. Mm-hmm. He was kind of on the wild side, right? He's kind of a crazy character. Well, again, he's the one that I think people point to when how Unreal kind of like got its edge. Mm-hmm. Yep. That he was this younger guy with kind of a more heavy metal sensibility. And he was the one of the first to leave when, <laughs> you know, Epic turned into the Fortnite epic that we now know today. So with a team that ranged from 20 to 30 people, the project had a budget of $10 million U.S., and they ended up using the new Unreal Engine 3 at this point. We've jumped to 3 at this point in time. The demo they showed off at the 2005 Game Developers Conference on the Xbox 360 was so convincing. I love this fact. It was so convincing that Sweeney was able to get Microsoft to double the memory for the 360, which would end up costing Microsoft tens of millions of dollars and even restrict the number of 360 consoles that were available at launch. That is how impressive that demo was. And to be honest, the first time I played Gears of War over my buddy Cena's, shout out to Cena, he was like, sit down, check this out. I was like, dude, this looks so generic. And then we started playing it, and I was like, oh my god, this is like on another level of cinematic you know fluid gameplay with these like mass like i said massive set pieces uh it also revolutionized kind of the horde mode kind of thing yes which very much kind of uh influenced by resident evil 4 of course because it was also about kind of managing the space and managing ammo and kind of uh protecting individual uh either characters or safe or you know base points uh and that's incredibly addictive just you know, playing co-op, like making sure that people have different angles covered. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's it was just it played. It was an evolution for a generation that had kind of did its. You know, it did the first person thing. Yeah, we had been deathmatched to death. Yes. <laughs> hey everybody, Holden here. Looking for something to give to your new dad or celebrate your new grad? Get them a one size fits all gift, like a new oral health routine with Quip. The guiding features make sticking to good habits simple, and signing them up for a subscription helps them save and refresh their brush on time. With the Quip electric toothbrush, you can show your thanks where it really counts. If you're a stress monster like me who has no patience whatsoever, you'll agree that people brush too hard and are too abrasive. That's why Quip employs sensitive sonic vibrations for an effective clean that's gentle on your sensitive gums. Also, it's hard for me to conceive... 
stopping and like slowing down for even two minutes in my day for a brush, and I'm not alone. Up to 90% of us don't brush for a full two minutes or don't clean evenly. Now you can just chill and let Quip do the work. It has a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides and help you to clean your whole mouth evenly. I love Quip because brushing is something I don't really have to think about. They even deliver new brushes in the mail every three months for just $5, which is huge for me because I was definitely one of the 75% of us who used old worn-out bristles that were ineffective before Quip came along. That's why I love Quip and why over 1 million happy, healthy mouths do too. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com forward slash wizard right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash wizard. Seriously, guys, get yours today. It is one of my favorite products that I advertise on this podcast. Thanks, guys. And uh, it was the first game so successful, Microsoft's immediately like, yeah, this is a trilogy, definitely going to be three games, yada, yada, yada. And uh, so Gears 2 comes out, it receives a lot of optimization on its netcode, as well as tweaks to the cover system. It was another showcase for improvements to the Unreal Engine 3. Gears 3 was released in 2011, three years after the sequel and six years after the first, and was, of course, it's that game. In this year, it's like Dead Dead Space, perfect example. <laughs> it's criticized for its lack of innovation for the market. You know, the market's just changing so much, so constantly that it's just totally swept up in it. That same year, by the way, Epic announces a new game in development called Fortnite. Oh. Back in twenty a uh, fucking levon. But before we get to Fortnite, we got to talk about the transition into Epic four point and that comes with the idea of huh. Maybe maybe games could be a service. Tim Sweeney said of this, <clears throat> there, there, there was an increasing realization that the old models w- wasn't working anymore, and that was the new model uh, was looking increasingly like the way to go. Uh, the industry is... Oh, that's not the quote, but yeah. <laughs> uh, fun fact, um, I actually got the Queen of England to just do the chicken dance for me one time. <laughs> Why I, are there little horns poking out of your head, Tim? Oh, those are uh, synthetic biomods I had a, a Swedish uh, surgeon put in there. Uh, they're actually Wi-Fi antennas. Interesting. I downloaded my brain to the cloud. It's real neat. I'm one with the internet. All right, real quick. Alt-right or no? Oh, I'm beyond your human comprehensions. <laughs> uh, I just, whatever's the most efficient. Um, to be fair, this body of mine is just, uh, is, I'm only working half cycles. Here. You don't scare me at all, Okay. You don't frighten me. Why? How are I'll you hovering? You, I just realized you're not sitting in a seat. You're literally just floating. How is that even possible, Tim? Oh, you don't get. You don't have hover butts. Wow. <laughs> hover butts. Wow. That's, I need hover butts. I was in Milan, and I just had to have. <laughs> you I'll, look like one of those characters from Wally right now. I'll pay you forty thousand dollars to be scared of me right now. <laughs> So the industry as a whole was heading into that direction, the games of the service direction, because of the explosion in popularity of World of Warcraft and the MMO genre running on a subscription-based model. We've talked about it before. Everybody wants that World of Warcraft nugget. Everybody wants that sweet, sweet. They're like, oh, they're willing to pay every month, not just (laughs) once? How? How do we get them to do it? Um, At the... They're losing their jobs for this game? They're like, it's ruining their lives? How do we get that sweet ruin their lives money? 
I want that dead in a Korean cafe money. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, they, they, uh, they're looking around even like, you know, Netflix and uh, streaming and stuff. I mean, all this stuff, right? They're just like, well, how do we get in on this? And that's where Tencent comes in. Ooh, evil Tencent comes into play. It should also be noted that even while like it's, it's not that they were like bored and looking for like, uh, how to conquer the world. They were already conquering the world because Unreal Engine three, uh, the, the leap from like, uh, Xbox and PS2 to yeah. PS3, Xbox 360 represented Huge. a gigantic exponential leap in how much sheer money and effort it takes to get a game out the door on the AAA level. Yeah, PS3, 360, uh, the jump from there to PS4, Xbox One, not as huge, right? But PS2 well, to, yeah. It feels, it feels weird to say this out loud, but like um, the attitude of development... Uh, kind of shifted from like, oh, how do we get our games to run on these like shitty limited platforms? Like, what do we have to cut? Like, how are we going to like get our big vision to fit on this like sh- idiot box? Uh, turned immediately to fuck. How do we fill this gigantic digital like infinite box? <laughs> even though we're talking like, I don't I don't even think it's like it's under a gig of memory. Yeah. And still people are like, how the Fuck do we this is too much. This is too much. So back to Tencent. So so but but I meant to say is is uh uh so Unreal Engine 3 is basically powering the entirety of the AAA games industry at this point because it just cuts out so much of the rudimentary uh uh foundational work that has to get done to get a game out the door and they've been refining and refining and refining that you can like with very little programming knowledge start building games in the Unreal uh, Engine kind of uh, toolkit without even having to, like, really... Co- like, you need some scripting, but, like, now your artists can help level design and your uh, uh, AI programmers can help, like... You know, everybody's, like, kind of... It kind of flattens the playing field so that uh, you make the most out of each individual person working on your game. Mm. So uh, among the titles running Unreal Engine 3 is uh, Bioshock, uh-huh. Batman, Arkham Asylum... Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, uh, why is it in alphabetical order? Uh, <laughs> Dark Void, Darksiders, yeah. uh, uh, DC Universe Online, uh, Devil May Cry. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is so. Uh, this is every yeah, yeah. Fable. Uh, yeah, yeah. So many, so many games are running off of Unreal Engine three that it's the backbone of the AAA games industry. Totally, totally. I, I like I said, I was co- common stance. To see uh, or a common occurrence to see un- Unreal. Oh wait, I think Bioshock technically was Unreal too. Whatever. Pro- well, either way. Still though. Um, now back to Tencent. Mm. Today, T- Tencent is the world's largest gaming company. It is also one of the world's largest technology conglomerates. It's also one of the world's largest social media companies. It's also one of the world's largest venture capital firms. It is also one of the world's largest investment corporations. It recently, in 2018, surpassed the market value of $500 billion. We're talking about a mammoth, <laughs> monster corporation. This is like my worst nightmare, this place. Um, it was, well, at least it's not run under a communist government. <laughs> <laughs> it was founded back in 1998 by five entrepreneurs slash businessmen slash software developers in China. Their initial product, QQ, an instant, which is an instant messenger software that offered a subscription service for add-ons. Key there is subscription was not super successful to start, 
And then in 2007, they started licensing games, started to dabble in that a little bit. Some created by South Korean devs for the PC. Little, like, you know, yeah, just little subscription tire. Uh, I think that these were even, like, some free-to-play with, like, add-on stuff. It launched its own social media chat called WeXin, which is now branded as WeChat which grew to become one of the world's most powerful social media apps with over 1 billion monthly active users. Had you heard of WeChat before? This is like China's it's China's everything app apparently. Mm. It's literally referred to as China's app for everything and can make apps within the app making it super versatile. So essentially imagine one place where you go for Insta, Facebook, TikTok, you know what I mean? It's it in in even other stuff. I think games, all it's it's just everything. It's like you so go Facebook, to, but it's more. I it sounds like it's more than that. It's like an all encompassing fucking uh, uh, Uber app. You know, not an Uber, not for the taxi <laughs> service. Like this massive. I wouldn't be just, surprised if they had a rideshare program in there. So it sounds like essentially everyone in China just like runs off of WeChat. Essentially, mm. like like. No one doesn't have WeChat unless you're like like a dying old lady or something. Or in a government prison. Ah, one of those fun government prisons. So now with the... Probably because you said something bad about the Chinese government on WeChat. <laughs> yeah. So now with some money, they decide to invest. Uh, and the first notable investment was a major equity interest at 92.78% into Riot Games, the developer of League of Legends, the just the huge, huge phenomenon that is League of Legends, right? Of course, League of Legends, a MOBA or multiplayer online battle arena mm-hmm. uh, game. It is a uh, name that uh, Riot Games had to invent because they couldn't say Dota. <laughs> yes, because they couldn't say that. And they end up purchasing the rest of the equity for that in 2015. So They've got WeChat, this massively popular social media thing, mix and and then mix that in with the money they get from the hugely popular League of Legends, uh, constantly one of the most viewed things on Twitch, mm-hmm. yada yada yada, massively popular, you know, giant arenas for tournaments, uh, esports, ready video game, right? Mm-hmm. So then there's Epic, and Epic's over there going, we need games as a service. And they see what Tencent's doing, and they know exactly what the fuck is going on. They're like, Tencent, we want some of that action, son! Sweeney's like, son, give me that action, right? (laughs) Tencent, in exchange for their help, will acquire around 40% of Epic, both their stock and employee stock options, for $330 million, and this deal is made in 2012. Tencent gets the right to nominate directors to the board of Epic Games and therefore is associate of the group. However, Sweeney says that they have very little control on the creative output of Epic. What they do have control over or what they do have input on is how to make the most successful video game as a service. And um, Epic now has approximately 200 employees with big-time members of staff taking their exit. And that's when Cliff Blazinski sees what's going on. And I think this is happening in general. Like, I feel this way, too. Probably it's also just being sick and tired. Like, looking around being like, I hate these fucking mobile free-to-play games. Is that the company I'm working for? Because I don't want to be working for a company that does, like, mobile free-to-play horse shit shovelware, essentially. 
So he, I mean, he was also getting offers left and right for places that would offer him even greater creative control. Yeah. He, he, he said, he states that he had become jaded about the gaming industry as Tencent was becoming involved. And he goes on to, to start boss key productions, which has a bit of an unfortunate uh, story. Uh, we should they, like go back and do a Cliffy B episode. Yeah, I feel like we could do a whole thing on him. He's got I'm sure, like a ton of great quotes out there, and he's like, there's he's just he's a little lost in the epic story because the epic story is so fucking epic. Uh, he ends up um, releasing the less than satisfactory Lawbreakers, and then they rushed out this weird ass battle royale clone <laughs> called Radical Heights, which I definitely played, uh, and it was weird as fuck and just. Not up to snuff as this Hail Mary pass. You love to see a, a game dev do a Hail Mary pass like that. Um, so uh, you also, President Mike Caps leaves to become a stay-at-home dad. Rod Ferguson, who was the lead developer of Gears of War, um, he said he was not interested in, in the free-to-play model, wait, wanting to be to keep working on AAA, big narrative, big story, big impact games. And he ends up actually going on to uh, create Gears 4 under Microsoft after Microsoft gets the rights. Lee Perry, who is the lead designer on Unreal and Gears of War, felt that Epic was just getting too large to support an eccentric game developer. Too true, Lee Perry. Too true. So, that's where we come to Fortnite Save the World. Falling. Well, there's uh, just just to acknowledge the other feathers in Epic Games cap. Uh, they do release Bulletstorm, which is one of my favorite action games of all time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, with uh, People Can Fly, which is uh, the Serious Sam people, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yeah. Uh, incredibly fun game. Uh, they also did uh, the Infinity Blade series. Yeah, which, on, on phone, right? On that was, phone, yeah, which yeah. was revolutionary at the time. For further phone, flexing yeah. on the power of the Unreal Engine that right. on what was, you know, a mobile, you know, yeah, on a phone you had what were considered console quality graphics. True, totally. Yeah, and the Unreal Engine is still getting used by all the all these other game companies. So, like... They have the space to dwell on Fortnite. So yeah. the idea that, like, now we're going to focus on this one thing is, like, kind of a big deal. They have a lot of resources to work with and a lot of good favor with the gaming public. Which is why shortly after Gears 3, they end up having an internal game jam because they're just experimenting at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where they come up with the idea of Fortnite Save the World. Blazinski actually helped with this, and he ends up presenting a just a basic idea of it at the 2011 Spike Video Game Awards saying Epic wanted to switch things up a little bit and do something different and fun and that Fortnite would be a world where you explore, you scavenge, you build and ultimately you survive with no dude, dude bros in it. Not that there's anything wrong with that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh that was a quote from Blazinski. I will say though, again, obviously adapting to what's currently going on and what was currently really popular minecraft which involved a bunch of building and survival games in general right just games that force you to survive out in the wild you know that was minecraft what was had, in, yeah so minecraft just... had the scavenging and four by four thing uh also the uh tower defense was a very popular mobile yes. genre people were going crazy for that and in a way um the mobification of of uh triple a games were kind of happening uh you know, Overwatch was also kind of experimenting with this idea of like character abilities and, you know, control points and doing all this stuff. Uh, so, yeah, the the Fortnite formula really was just a, a potpourri of individual elements that had been proven to be the com- like very compelling bases for uh, a, a property. 
They announced it as an exclusive personal computer title, and they also uh, announced that it would be a way for them to experiment with their new Unreal 4 game engine, with a planned release in 2013. They wanted to constantly be monitoring and tweaking the game, acting as a, quote, dungeon master, but the game definitely was very slow to come to fruition. A lot of that was because they were experimenting with the new Unreal 4 engine. And also, uh, they added all, they had all these systems they wanted to keep. They wanted to market it towards lovers of computer, like PC RPGs that had a ton of like inner working systems, things like that. So they were trying to come up with a bunch of stuff like that to layer onto it. Um, and also because the Tencent merger caused all of those people to leave. They had to completely reorganize what was going on. People were all of a sudden had two jobs. Like, just the development process, slow, slow, slow. And um, they were uh, transitioning it as well into a games-as-a-service model, made it even slower to come. They also were turning their sights to other things at the same time, such as the free-to-play Overwatch clone, because that was what was big at the time. Uh, Paragon, if you remember that game, was a oh. free-to-play. Yeah. Oh, you that, that was them? Yeah, that was oh. them. Of course that was them. They're adapting oh. and iterating and... And and th- and so and if you remember, Paragon was free to play, and that's exactly what they were trying to do, right? The free to play model. Oh, let's make Overwatch a free to play game, right? Let's see if that can be successful. So they're not just immediately succeeding with Fortnite Battle Royale. They are experimenting and failing more often than not right now. They oh, also uh, God Paragon, the game that's even like below, yeah. Battleborn, sub Battleborn, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paragon. It was also they also had a free to play community developed Unreal tournament in the works. That was the Unreal tournament four, I believe, that ended up getting canceled. Um, so initially, they were bringing in game modes that they had to drop while making Gears of War three. Um, Fortnite Save the World is described as a co op sandbox survival game about exploration, scavenging items, crafting weapons, building fortified structures, and fighting waves of encroaching monsters. Described by Sweeney as Minecraft meets Left for Dead, in which you work together to fight enemy NPCs. Uh, as, you, as you're listening to this now, um, you're probably realizing wow, this is really sounds slightly similar to, but very unlike. Fortnite uh, Battle Royale. Mm-hmm. Uh, by March 2014, there were 90 developers working on the game, and they went into closed alpha testing by the end of that year and closed beta by fall of 2015. And apparently this time was so lengthy due to it trying to create, trying to just create and balance its games as a service model because it's the first time they've ever fucked with that, right? Now, at the, I remember this. I remember before when Fortnite was not Battle Royale, mm-hmm. Fortnite that we have today, and I, 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 this all went down, like, obviously, it's only a few years ago, but I just remember all of this going down in real time and just being like, the fuck is this Fortnite game? This sounds like trash. Like, what do they even make? You know what I mean? I'm just like, what even is it? Well, at least it sounded like something I was 100%. None of this. I don't like crafting. I don't like survival. Mm-hmm. I, you know what I mean? It's just like, I don't like tower defense. It's like everything I don't like in one game. Essentially, um, I remember being intrigued by it, especially because the uh, art style was like a very it was a huge deviation from the Gears of War style. A hundred percent. And so it had kind of this kind of zombies ate my neighborhood kind of folksiness to it. Right. That I I found appealing. The idea of like building a fort and then doing tower like lives, you know, horde mode, tower defense, left for dead shit seemed really appealing. Um, I. This was before I was like before I worked at Dorkley, before I was like in tune with the games industry even a little. So I didn't understand what it represented in the scheme of like epic games. All I remember is one of my favorite um 
Overwatch YouTubers at the time, who has since become an exclusively Fortnite YouTuber, <laughs> uh, did, was paid to do a like beta because they would launch betas, and, uh-huh. and a huge part of Fortnite development was that they would do these massive betas with the massive uh, testing, you know, uh, I guess pool, and people would be like, eh, "I'm not really feeling it. Eh, I could use more work," and they'd put it back in the oven. And watching him play and seeing how it was like, it just didn't gel. Yeah, it just didn't quite gel. Yeah. Uh, you know, the running around collecting, uh, harvesting like metal and wood is kind of boring. And then like if you didn't do it right or if you just even had a square in the wrong place, like all the husks would just come in and ruin your objective. Mm-hmm. It, ju- it just didn't quite have that addictive gameplay loop or the kind of uh, serene freedom of Minecraft. Of Minecraft, right? Yeah. It's just it's not nothing's working quite right. It. it it goes into paid early access by mid-2017 with a planned release for both computer and console in 2018 as a free-to-play game. While this is going on, there's a dude out in the out in the wild named Player Unknown Online and Brendan Green in the real world who <laughs> created a mod offshoot. All right, here's my here's this sentence. Are you ready for this sentence? Mm-hmm. Brendan Green created a mod offshoot of a popular zombie survival mod called Daisy, created from an open-world military simulation game called Arma 2. Player Unknown's mod was called Daisy Battle Royale, based off the Japanese film Battle Royale about a group of junior high schoolers who were forced to fight to the death on an island, which was also based on a book. Also, there were popular Minecraft servers that did the same thing. Yes, there were popular Minecraft servers that did the same thing. This mod eventually led to what we would know as Player Unknown's Battlegrounds or PUBG, released in March of 2017, a game that exploded in popularity. I was there for it. It actually launched my whole. That game came out like right when I started going pro on Twitch, essentially, like mm-hmm. right, or at least like going like part time pro on twitch right and it became the gamer it defined my like first year well not first year of of, i guess my first year of twitch streaming was lexi loves game night but it defined the gaming pc like really getting serious about it year of my whole twitch career i will always look back on PUBG and that time so fondly it was this amazing time in my life of like completely changing my whole lifestyle and everything up it was just this unbelievable moment and also just I, I've never been a part of a thing where I'm playing the game at the same time as everybody else and we're all just obsessed with one game and it, it unified everybody in a way that I miss, you know? And I know Fortnite kind of does that now for people, but I just never got into it. I don't like crafting. It does that for children. It does that for children, exactly. And I miss that. I want another one of those games to come out again, you know? Like Overwatch was doing it for a while, you know what I mean? Like just everybody is, no one's not playing this one game. But anyways, uh, yeah, it, it it swept the the whole game. Everybody like also getting to be there for the uh, the addition of a completely new genre, widely popular genre of gaming that came out of nowhere. That's this completely new format, which is by the way the battle royale genre. Everyone is dropped onto an island. There's essentially a circle getting smaller and smaller, and if you're outside of it, you'll die, and you're trying to be the last person standing out of usually, like, 100 people, right? And it is such a fun... And if you die, you perma-die, you start over from the very beginning. It is so fun, it is so addictive, and everybody wanted to capitalize on it as soon as it became this, like, unbelievably popular genre. And the thing is, is that what made PUBG possible was Unreal Engine 4. Yes, and Bluehole working closely with Epic and their Unreal Engine to help modify the game, to help make it work. 
Um, and Epic is just sitting watching this going, hmm, like they all had goatees. I'm sure everybody Wait, worked there and they're like stroking I, I'm their goatees. I'm, I'm a little unfamiliar with the timing of it, but Bluehole was the Korean company that kind of saw what Player Unknown was doing uh -huh. in H1Z1 was like, hey, you should make an original game with us. We'll use the Unreal 4 engine because yeah, it uses... Yeah, because H1Z1... What, I skipped over H1Z1. Yeah. We'll go back. We'll do, like, a but Battle Royale-specific, I feel like, episode, but... Did Tencent own a chunk of Blue Hole yet? That is a very good question. I am not sure about that, my friend. Um, I feel like that happened later, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. We'll, we'll need to do a follow-up correction or something. And Yes, but the point is, is that there's this game that is conquering the world yeah. with... Epic's new engine that they've been like stuck in the mud with. Yes. Building this thing. And, you know, the, everything that they originally intended Fortnite to be is getting eclipsed. Uh, so. Overwatch is suffering. Uh, Dota is suffering. Everyone on Twitch is watching PUBG because it has the most perfectly watchable gameplay loop of like you drop, uh, you, you forage, you have a few fights, like it gets to the end, tensions building. And like if you die, you just start over. Yeah. And it gives you a clean break. It's instead of just watching someone play Hearthstone for like five hours. Right. Uh, you can like actually just get in a good 25 minutes. Yes. Be like, that's rad and move on with your life. Have I mentioned that I'm empty inside because I had food poisoning <laughs> and nearly shot myself to death? So in this insane turn of events that, again, I was following in real time, like loving Player Nodes Battlegrounds, yada, yada, yada. Literally in two months... Uh, led by a team, um, uh, a team led by Eric Williamson and Zach Estep, who ended up getting help from the Unreal Tournament team because that wasn't really working out. They uh, launch as quickly as humanly possible a game called Fortnite uh, Battle Royale. That fucking I, I I remember I was like, what? How did they even do that? It was like a magic trick. Well, it's the power of the engine. They've been spending how many years? With all these fucking assets. Yeah. That and they just didn't know how to arrange in a way that people actually wanted to buy. And their goal that really helped the game as a whole, their goal was to keep it as simple as humanly possible uh, using what they had already created to launch as quickly as possible. And that simplicity is really, I think, what helped so much. They didn't have too many systems per se. It was actually very simple, but it was still had this whole building mechanic that was you know, PUBG didn't have that they didn't even realize how well that would be implemented strategically by players. They were like, oh, they're just like crushed. They're totally like using this thing that was totally made for a tower defense game, like and implementing it perfectly into the gameplay of a battle royale game. Um, the, the release of Fortnite battle royale happened as a separate release from save the world as a free to play game. And it ends up beating out PUBG to the console market um, for free, for free, baby. I mean, and it's cartoony. It's not this mil military realism. It's like totally just doors are wide open for kids to download it immediately and get way the fuck into it. And if it. you're, if you're a parent, if you're just a normal ass parent and you see your guy like in play you see your kid playing PUBG and there's just a buck naked guy in his underwear with like a SWAT helmet carrying like a very realistic like carbine rifle. You'd be like, that's stop. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I don't you just approve see of it. a guy with like a pickaxe swinging around and a, a cartoon man swinging at a block of firing a, with a shotgun that looks like it was assembled from spare Nokia phone from fucking uh, uh, Elmer foil. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Drinking like, slurp juice <laughs> or Elmer Fudd. Right. Mm. Jesus. What's wrong with me? I chat too today. Right. 
Remember when I said that? Mm-hmm. I also shot today. You're stealing my shitting valor. <laughs> I'm epic. I'm, I'm epic with Fortnite, but instead it's having the shits. Ugh. Um, <laughs> and Anyone who brings this up at the live show, I get to slap. <laughs> um, so Fortnite Battle Royale, it has 10 million players after just two weeks of release. And it goes on to draw in tons of players, lots who had never played video games before. That's the real killer. You've got NBA players tweeting about it. You've got Drake playing it on Twitch with uh, Ninja, uh, the famous Twitch streamer, just get, getting uh, over 635. Ninja could get his own episode. I know, right? 635,000 concurrent viewers. Uh, the game and becomes a major part of just the general zeitgeist in a way that I don't I don't know if I've ever seen a game have other than like Super Mario. Like it it is unbelievable how form. I even I I like asked my my um wife's uh gamer nephews. I asked them. I was like, so is it true? Does everyone at your school just play and talk about Fortnite? Like including all the kids who never played games before. He's like, yeah, it's aggravating as fuck. Everybody at school cannot shut up about this game, including the the jocks, the popular ki- girls. That you know what I mean. It is like everyone fucking knows this thing, and everyone is playing it when because it comes to young kids. The celebrity factor. It, it's interesting. There's like different tiers to video games that I don't know if we like really talk about enough. Where there's the actual like in the weeds, like indie devs, like game jam people who are like in the wilderness, just like assembling scraps and like seeing what flies and you know there's games that you've never even heard of that will be gone in a week then there's like the hardcore enthusiasts who like play games that you know are on steam only like the pc gamers the the role-playing fantasy games rust stuff like that then there's like the modding people who are playing even more obscure versions of that and then there's like normal video game people and what PUBG did was they took what was like one of those obscure mod communities and turned into a game that the greater gaming audience can play. Right. But there's a higher tier beyond uh, gamers. And that is that FIFA Madden call of duty tier where it's everybody. Everybody plays those games. It is they're they're not gamers, but they got a fucking PlayStation. You surprise dad with a, a PlayStation Four. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're just default gonna get him like call the newest Call of Duty game. You know what? Right? Like yeah. you know, and dad's probably gonna play it for a little bit and like move on. He's not gonna be like necessarily obsessed or you know like an obsessive gamer. Right? And and because Fortnite got to consoles first for free, it just leapfrogged PUBG by going beyond just the hardcore gamer audience to Drake, to music fans. Also just like, oh, you don't have a console or a PC? Do you have a tablet? Do you have a phone? Oh, yeah. Eventually, like even people who would never even consider buying a console are still playing it on their tablet, right? I even know people, like I have a friend who he was playing Fortnite on the tablet. It convinced him to get a Switch and it convinced him to move back into gaming. Like he stopped for fucking years. You know what I mean? I did see like one of those phase guys. I I don't know which one. I know there's drama. uh, (laughs) Play against an actual child on an iPad. And the kid was like keeping up with this like pro gamer. Yeah. Because... they just have been spending so much time on the touchscreen. It's hundred percent. So, um, and, and so, according to Sweeney, the game had two hundred fifty million players in twenty nineteen, with thirty five percent being female. The highest known percentage for a shooter game. I mean, this game is like 
making massive waves. We cannot stress it enough. Blue Hole's PUBG Corp ends up filing a lawsuit against Epic Games, claiming Fortnite to be copyright infringement, which was later dropped in 2018, because that's hilarious, because their game was derived from a completely other game. So, like, what are you talking about? Also, both companies had partial stakes yes. owned by Tencent. Yes, it's insane! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um... Uh, also, uh, several people, including Alfonso Ribeiro, who you might know as Carlton from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and Backpack Kid, sued over the DLC dances in the game. What's hilarious is Alfonso's dance was the Carlton, which is a uh, comes from a property that is not his. <laughs> also, if I remember correctly... He stole that dance from uh, Courtney Cox <laughs> in the Bruce Springsteen music video. So it's just insane. Uh, uh, the the window uh, for suing video games over a stolen dance would have been World of Warcraft. You missed the ah, boat on that. You did miss the boat on that. So this game is, like we said, ported to Switch, Android, iOS, and mobile devices, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it's also like, like, can you just describe like what the seasonal element of it, too, to keep people coming back? The games as a service explosion so, that they created with their seasons. So how the game makes money, even though it's free, is uh, it sells, uh, it kind of, unlike, uh, it kind of functions a little bit like an MMO uh, by the fact that it continually iterates on itself. There's always new content to be had. And within the island, they'll change something, uh, they'll change areas, they'll introduce new weapons, they'll get rid of old weapons, uh, they'll introduce new vehicles, mechanics, uh, so no matter what, even if you're like losing interest, you'll still, the, every time you log in, there'll always be something, a little, a new toy to play with. So you're there, you're locked. You're never bored by it, even though it's the same it's island. Con it's new content at a ludicrous rate, one, one might say. Oh, you mean entirely new skins every day <laughs> cost yeah. money? And in a uh, free-to-play uh, scenario, uh, one of the first things you discover is, there's like minnows and then there's whales and mm. whales will just buy everything because yeah. they just love your shit and want to feel cool about it. Uh, the fact that they managed to appeal to kids uh, means that now like, you know, you can get bullied for being a default and like fucking snooty uh, Bryson gets oh, the fucking Bryson. level six Omega thing. Of course Bryson does. And they get that fucking not on a monthly schedule, but on like I, I think it's like every three months or so, maybe four months. Uh, you buy the season pass, which gives you all sorts of skins and bonuses, uh, each with a specific theme, again, to build this, like, weird non-story of the place. I'm, I've, I've been paying for the season pass. Yep. Like, every couple of every couple of months, it's just like, oh, hey, there's a new one. How like, much is it? Ten bucks. Yeah, why not? Why not? T every two months, of and course. By this point, I probably, sp I think I finally spent the $60 that it would have spent would've on this spent. game. Right. And if the, if they keep up the pace of quality and updates, you know, it's going to be my default. Like I'm tired. I don't want to yeah. like invest in a thing. I just want to sit down, run around in an open space and like, see if I can land some headshots. Right. Like they might get me for a hundred dollars, 120. Who knows? I, I haven't sat down and bought any skins. Uh, I know Marie has because <laughs> she installed it on uh, her laptop and for a while we were playing together and it was adorable. Um, but she like, you know, you know, you know, your avatar is you. Yeah. And if you take pride in dressing yourself up, you're going to want a cool skin to totally. run around in. Totally. So, 
The newest iteration of Epic is the Game Store. Uh, so Epic decides, you know what? They look at what Steam's doing. Steam, prim- the majority of PC games are being sold through Steam. Steam, who is taking a 30% cut, which Tim Sweeney was mentioning even uh, publicly. He just felt like that wasn't really reasonable for them to take that much of a, a cut. A lot of markup. A lot of markup. And uh, eventually Epic announces it will open its own digital storefront, taking 12% of revenue to compete with Steam and no digital rights management restrictions. And uh, they released it in December of 2018 with a small handful of games. Oh, and, and if you want to play Fortnite, you have you to. You have to get, oh, do you want to play the biggest game on the planet? Well, I guess you have to get the Epic's Game Store then, don't you? Uh, so you immediately are put into this situation with this new game store. So that's why they have a foot in. Uh, again, just trying to iterate, adapt, and eclipse anything, <laughs> any any competitor. And this is the new, the new approach. Now this, though, I think this is the you start. You know, technically gold is too heavy to build a yacht out of, <laughs> but I am. It's uh, it's what you got to do is you just got to just got to puff it up. Is that a cup of blood? Oh, no, 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 no. This is a synthetic uh, hemoglobal uh, cocktail. Uh, It's well. okay, yeah, it's blood. All right. Let's just move on then. Um, so, uh, it's immediately getting criticism, right? Because of the features, apparently has really bad customer service. If something goes wrong with something you bought there, there's a lot of issues people have. It, it was released with very and little features. More importantly, it's another fucking thing you gotta it's click. another fucking thing. You already have the Blizzard launcher. You've got, uh, you Steam, play. you play GOG, like, come on. And also, in another kind of dicky move... They're, they're trying to pull games away from Steam, the first one of which was Metro Exodus, which was already available for pre-order. They pulled it from Steam and were like, oh, if you already pre-ordered it, we'll put it out on Steam, but but you have to go to Epic now if you want to buy it. And it pissed people off. They're like, what the fuck's happening? You're retroactively moving this away? Like, like you're gatekeeping it like that? Like, fuck off. And then Rumors this lit- began to swirl that it was actually like full of Chinese spyware yes. and that it was going to like... Send your data to the fucking communist Mainly party. Mainly due to Tencent's involvement. And Tencent's always in the background of Epic being like this kind of evil Uber corporation that nobody trusts. Um, and so, and that's kind of where we're at today with Epic. And another place that we're at today with Epic is it has become so huge. And Epic has become such a monster that in an article dated April 23rd, 2019 on Polygon, there were reports coming out from current and former employees stating that they regularly worked in excess of 70 hour weeks with some stating 100 hour weeks in which working overtime was come to be expected there these are all anonymous sources of course uh one employee said the biggest problem is that we're patching all the time jake the executives are focused on keeping Fortnite popular for as long as possible, especially with all the new competition that's coming in. Jake, with your battle pass that you're not even realizing is the product of slaves, corporate slaves. Another employee said, everything has to be done immediately. We're not allowed to spend time on anything. If something breaks a weapon, say, then we can't just turn it off and fix it with the next patch. It has to be fixed immediately. And all the while, we're still working on next week's patch. It's brutal. I hardly sleep. I'm grumpy at home. I have no energy to go out. Getting a weekend away from work is a major achievement. If I take Saturday off, I feel guilty. I'm not being forced to work this way. But if I don't, then the job won't get done. Jake Young, you villain of the show now, immediately overnight now you're the villain the reality of crunch in the gaming industry is something i'm glad is finally getting noticed and fucking let me just giddy up on my high horse here whoa girl you're so high up 
Who I'm getting dizzy. Oh, such such strong tall legs on this high horse of mine. Uh, the more that people talk to each other about working conditions yes, and like please. share your salary, Awful. share your lives. Uh, it's never going to get better unless we actually demand better. This is disgusting what I'm reading here, what I read in that Polygon article. It is absolutely atrocious. No, I, this is the I tragedy. Stand this is it. the fucking human tragedy is for a hot second, uh, I guess late last year or early this year, Apex Legends come swooping in out of nowhere. Yep. The Titanfall guys, the underdogs of it's, underdogs. And it's awesome. It's fucking cool. I played it for a little bit. I really, I really thought it was rad. I'm kind of over Battle Royales at this point yeah. in my life. I might come back to them. But even sa that said, I was like, this is a good Battle Royale. And this is fun. Everybody involved was like, even though it was run, it was EA, right? It's EA. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, ti yeah. yeah the Titanfall it's, guys are under the, uh, that which, umbrella. 2K, it, right? Is it 2K? Um, uh, cannibalized its own yes. battlefield release. Yes. Uh, but you know this was the this was the night that was going to slay the Fortnite dragon. But uh, I forget the name of the dev company. Uh, but uh, they were like, and we're going to do things right. We're not going to. We're going to have a healthy dev uh, yes. cycle. People are going to get to live like human beings because they did good work. Damn it. Where's season one? What? Where's season one? I. Where's season one? Fortnite has season. Quick season they have. We uh well we we it took us a while but we I think we refined our extra uh legend that Me you can tell. Me want daily costume. Me want daily costume. What? Uh, well, every day would require. I mean. Me need daily. Fortnite have daily. Why you no have daily? Well, you know, work life balance is important. And <laughs> shit, he ran off to Fortnite. <laughs> shit. Right as uh, that was me being a Fortnite gremlin, as I call them. <laughs> from having beaten Fortnite and being touted as the second coming, now in its kind of relatively stagnant state, Apex Legends now is like the most fifteenth watch Twitch stream. Yeah, they're still doing okay, but it's it's yeah, it it it's definitely got eclipsed by the slave level <laughs> output that is going on disgustingly at epic oh Another the new season is so great they got these uh these like kind of air tubes that let you move around the map a lot easier if i got to the end of an eight hour did you see avengers day, you got to fight thanos if i got to the end of an eight hour work day and i turned to my supervisor to ask if i needed to stay on they'd often looked at me as if i was actively stupid officially you don't have to keep working but in reality sit back down we'll be here for a while if you did not do overtime that was a mark against your character uh, uh, contract employees are referred to as bodies by seeing <laughs> your staff Jesus. and they have contracts to six to 12 months and then many times they get disposed of for less disgruntled employees when they're done and of course all these fucking young kids are like well i want to like make it in this business so i guess i'll just work a hundred fucking hour weeks and get taken advantage by these fuckheads uh uh in, in order to get somewhere i guess that's what it takes because that's what i'm seeing around me it's 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 the same it's this crazy we're gonna have a what i'm saying is we're gonna get a suicide forest that's what I'm saying. This is all going to lead to one of those suicide forests. Okay? So we need to fucking do something about this. Epic and Tencent and Jake Young. And that's where I can leave it. Right there. That's the story of Epic Games. ZZT is a very fun, interesting <laughs> platform. If you uh, have a spare afternoon, uh, it's you know you can you can find a lot of i think you can play it online did you make that throne of human skulls yourself tim sweeney or uh no 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 you just you'd find the right country where you know human life is valued so little <laughs> and you just like you just tell a father you're like here's 10 shiny coins and he'll just do the business 
Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to support us further, hey, we've been getting uh, quite a few new members, by the way, and I just want to thank you guys for your patronage. Go to patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. It feels weird knowing that people are actually listening to the hours upon hours of bonus episodes yeah, we've recorded. Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh my God. But I, I, uh, I'm I, glad. I, we should have that feeling every time we record, and we hope we do do it justice for you. I just said do-do. You can follow me on twitch.tv forward slash holdenatorshojake. Follow me on Twitter at best. Jake Young. And hey, always remember, keep on whizzing. Never stop shitting. What was that? Bruising. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.